The stories of some of the world's greatest women unfold here. I am Annette Comer, your host, and each week, the untold secrets of success, strength, and boldness of today's powerful women are revealed. Today's woman had a father who was a brilliant idea man. She learned from him how to take risks as she watched him put money toward his ideas and enjoy repeated success. When she became a young woman, she went off to college to study business and math. And from here, she pursued real estate. Hard skills were her sweet spot and she loved people. Combining these two, she became one of the most successful real estate agents in the U.S. But she seemed to never have enough time. So she began to question how she spent her time and realized she herself was the problem. Today, she continues to be wildly successful in real estate, but now she uses time hacks to do more with less time. And she is walking a path to greatness as she shows others how to also become more successful in just five minutes a day. It is my pleasure to introduce you to Karen Briscoe. Hi, Karen. Thank you for joining me today. Well, I'm thrilled to be recognized on the World's Greatest Women as one of your featured women. So thank you for having me today. Yes, and you have so much gold that I want to uncover. So let's jump right on in. In 2008, you were doing over $100 million in sales, and then the housing crisis hit. How did you reposition and rebuild your company? And what would you say to other business owners today as they maneuver the current business situations? Well, it was actually a double whammy because my business partner passed away in September 08, which was the same month as the financial markets crashed. And we actually had prepared for it. We knew she was ill. So that wasn't a surprise. When it would happen, though, being at the same time was very challenging. And I had actually seen signs. Uh, She had as well. I had been in, as you mentioned, real estate in the commercial side in Texas in the 80s during the savings and loan crisis. And I saw what companies were able to first survive, pivot, and then thrive, and those that didn't. And some of the strategies to me doing that in the 08 crisis, which actually lasted for several years. It wasn't it wasn't limited 08, although that was the biggest correction. But the was to very methodically uh, and to cut deep on expenses, uh, to really make sure that everything that was being invested money was wise and was actually contributing to revenue coming in. And one of the major cuts I made was to expensive advertising, which was one of the hallmarks of our company. And so it was pretty dramatic. And I remember once I made that decision, a lot of upper bracket agents uh, followed suit very quickly. Sadly, that had an impact on the print market, but that wasn't really my rodeo to, to be playing in or my arena. The other thing was I saw as I, the market shifting about two years before the market saw it shifting, <laughs> I actually, it was the, the summer of 05 when I started to feel the shift. And that shift was a buildup of supply relative to demand. And I frequently say supply and demand are like gravity. And there really isn't enough marketing or advertising or strategy that's going to overcome those forces. And I saw what was happening was the market was so strong. Sellers were like, well, if I can get that price, I'll sell. And so more and more inventory kept 
coming on the market that didn't have demand relative to it. And at the same time, the buyers were collectively saying prices are too high, this isn't sustainable, and they were leaving the market. And so since that time, I am very diligent on at a minimum of once a quarter running the statistics for our market area. In fact, I uh, write and produce a market study that the, the local papers print every quarter to follow that. Because what I found is, is it's like future casting, determining where the market is going. The best quote I can use is Wayne Gretzky said, I skate to where the, the puck is going. I want to help my clients position themselves to where the market is going and to help them make good decisions buying and selling on pricing. And so that was the other, one of the key fundamentals to first surviving that. And then Thriving brought on business partner, Lizzie Conroy in 09. I recognize in in what I had with Sue Huckabee, who was number 10 in the nation at the time. So it was an amazing mentorship that I wanted to be in business with a partner that I excelled um, in that type of environment. And Lizzie is 15 years my junior. So Sue was 15 years my senior. So I then saw that as an opportunity for me to mentor her and bring her in. Turned out to be a brilliant decision, you know, 12 years later. (laughs) Uh, And at the time, I recognized to get through a market that we were facing, it was better to not go alone (laughs) in my business is operate. So those were the three key things that came out of that and all still to this day, we implement as part of our business strategy. When I think they're so applicable to the business challenges that so many businesses have faced during the last few months, because it is important to look at your expense versus revenue ratio. And then the other things in terms of really taking a hard, honest look at where markets are going and where they have been and where you see them going. And then I think it's brilliant is to align yourself with someone else that can complement you in a way that can help you ride through the rough waters. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. So I'm going to continue to go a little bit more in this personal arena. There was a time you didn't feel worthy of investing time and going after what you wanted. So what did you believe then and what do you believe now? So from that 2008, 2009, that was a major recovery uphill <laughs> uh, going from you know the bottom of the market. Along that way, many people wanted to know how I had achieved high-level success. As often people do, not only did I overcome the challenges of you know the worst market in decades, maybe even since we'd kept statistical records of sales, and to bringing on a business partner, losing my business partner, bringing on a business partner and going on to success. And so as I would coach and train and speak with people, I found it very meaningful to make a contribution and to, to give back. But what I found was that in my success, there was still something more calling me. And what people kept saying was, Karen, you should write a book. That my stories and the way I would explain, particularly real estate, was what they called sticky. It was very memorable, like that they could actually apply it and it would work. (laughs) I hear this over and over again. And I had a blog and so I had a voice, but I putting that into a book, I felt like I didn't have enough time. There was actually group coaching with other women. It was really designed to be more personal coaching, personal development coaching, life coaching. 
I had been in a lot of productivity and business coaching, and I, I feel like I had that down. <laughs> but this life thing, uh, why did I still feel like there was something more when I was successful? And we were on a retreat discussing what we wanted to do in our life. And each person had picked one topic and I picked the book. I was like, what, what is it about this idea that is not coming to fruition, but just keeps like being brought up? The last day we were to share what was stopping us. That was like this epiphany when I shared with the women and they still remember it as a moment of a light bulb going off in my, I could just see it that I said, well, the only one stopping me is me. And I found that actually to be empowering because up until that time, I was using the limiting beliefs that I didn't have enough time or money that people were relying on me to be productive because I was not the primary breadwinner earner at the time, but I am now. But at the time I was kids in college, you know, the, a lot of expenses and, and so obligations. And so when I realized it was me, then I could really look at, okay, well then what is stopping me? Because I can change me. And it was a journey. It's still an ongoing journey. <laughs> I know we may talk about the heroine's journey, but I realized I was actually on my heroine's journey. I was sent out on this calling to discover why I was stopping me. And some of it came from the way I was raised, uh, that women were to make contributions to family and to you know their husband, their children, and others before they would take care of themselves. And I really went through a lot of personal development work on that (laughs) and came to believe or feel, and I do that today, that actually by self-care, caring for myself, I actually am in a much better position to care for and contribute others. I really wasn't doing anybody injustice by putting my needs. And what I found is even beyond that, not just the basics, but even beyond that, to embrace and to encourage my creative endeavors has brought about such a flourishing of first myself and then the people around me. And, you know, that has happened in several ways. Some of it's been ripples, you know, like you throw the pebble in the pond. Some of it's been like really much more impactful than that in the sense that it's more like a knocking over a domino. So like one thing has just led to a number of things, positive things. I've seen a snowball. I've seen it build. Um, because now I, you know, I have a podcast of over 350 episodes and I'm about ready to uh, release my fourth book. And all of that is built. And some of it's been really exponential. Like my, my business has grown. I think that it's a, by recognizing the side of myself, growing these skills and, and abilities has actually enhanced but the main thing is, is that I'm happier. <laughs> I guarantee, I guarantee. And I'm going to tag on to something you said just a few moments ago, because I want to go down this path a little further. Yes. So in your 50s, you started your creative endeavors, such as writing books and starting a podcast. So I guess I'm going to ask you an obvious question. Do you feel like it's ever too late to start and try new things? Well, I would hope that I could, I'm going to inspire anybody out there uh, that it's never too late. I mean, I really didn't enter the full-time workforce until our son left for college. I was a predominantly a stay-at-home mom for 
a dozen years by choice and also just because it logistically worked the best for our family. But at the same time, or I felt like I was missing out, right? A lot, a lot of people right. missing out. I was missing out on opportunity. I was missing out on my career. Uh, what I found was when I, I re-engaged, I still had all those success traits that I had before. I just had to, you know, engage them in, in a new market, new way. The creative endeavors is something that I was not raised to believe that those were my skills. I have you mentioned I majored in business and math in college. I've always been the analytical one, the logical one. If you want me to analyze a market study for real estate, I'm your girl. I, I always felt like I also had the soft skills of the relationship skills. Well, what I didn't feel like was I, I really was creative. But what I found is, is that that side has enhanced me. So I would say that it actually, in a lot of ways, <laughs> not only is it not ever too late, but it's the right time. I'm going to dig just a little bit deeper. We're going to keep digging here. So, so what do you think stops people at any age in their life from soaring in new directions? Do you think it's fear? Do you think it's settling? Do you think it's society inputs? expectations? What do you think? I think that there is all of that and more. For me, it was mostly limiting beliefs, which I found once I really truly uncovered them. They were self. My prosecuting attorney was you. Voice was me. <laughs> and so I had to really, because when I, now that I look back and my husband keeps reminding me it wasn't him and it wasn't my business partner, it wasn't my team. And it, some of it came from family. I had a very, as you mentioned, my father, a hard work ethic, German background that very driven in that. And I've always been very driven. Mm -hmm. And so again, this productivity was important to me. But I think also there's this perspective that comes out of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And that's where the flip time love life came about, is that oftentimes people seek to meet their needs, their, their basic needs, their physical needs. And I use the time of COVID as an example, because it if you think about it, when COVID first hit, what was people's first reaction was to make sure they had enough toilet paper, right? <laughs> I mean, how physical does that get? Then there's the safety security needs. People are still very conscious about being safe. And those are driving inherent needs, uh, physical needs. Then you have the relationship esteem needs, and then you have self-actualization and what I find a lot of people, myself included, is they think that they're going to work on self-actualization or focus on self-actualization. Gay Hendricks calls it uh, your zone of genius. You, know, you may have heard of flow. Uh, Joseph Campbell calls it bliss. I need to find some women and what they call it because they're all men. We're going to uh, work on that. <laughs> we're going to work on that. Me. I call it flipping time. I am going to be your next <laughs> expert on this. The, the idea is that if people are like, feel like they have to work their way up the pyramid until they've met all those, you know, needs or life events, then they can focus on it. Well, the thing is, is what if you run out of time? I mean, just think about how many people, myself included, are like, well, I will write a book when I have time. Well, what if you just keep putting it off till the point is you don't have any time, right? And I hear this a lot in women, but when the kids go back to school, then right. I will do it. When, you know, we get the car paid off or when, you know, 
certain things happen and whatever it is. And there's a whole laundry list of excuses, aren't there? Yes. And so what happens with that is, is people's, they leave lives of quiet desperation, right? And I was too. I mean, here I was very successful. And yet I was like, there's still so much more I'm capable of and that I'm called to do beyond just my duty to do, but I'm called to do. It's mine to do. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to go into the time space because you've alluded to that several times and you've kind of become this time guru and actually have been able to double your business by changing your focus. So what would you say to those listening is your number one secret to making this possible and how can others do the same? So the idea of flipping time came about with this Maslow hierarchy of needs. If you just see that pyramid, what I said is, Instead of it being time management or work-life balance or those type of concepts that a lot of people uh, share, to flip the pyramid, totally just flip it and focus on self-actualization first. Because that meaningful work or whatever is your creative endeavor or whatever is yours to do, when you do that first, then truly everything else becomes easier or unnecessary, right? So like, Think about your relationships, which is kind of next down on the pyramid. You are going to be in alignment with yourself. And so you're going to be living the life you were led to live. And so you will be true to yourself. And that is really the best way to be in good relationship with other people, right? And then your esteem needs. Well, if you're living the life that you are called to live, then you will feel the best about yourself that you could possibly feel. And then your, your physical needs are going to be met because you will be achieving and living at your best self. In real estate, we call it your highest and best self. So our highest and best, you want the use of the property to be at the highest and best. Well, we want the use of our lives to be at our highest and best. So then oftentimes people, they have, again, resistance comes. <laughs> Once you resist, persist. Resistance comes. And then I was like, well, can you invest five minutes a day? That's where the five-minute success came in because what I heard from people when they said, yes, I want to work on my personal and business development. I want to live the life I love as I create and co-create the life of my dreams, but I still have a mortgage to pay and children to, you know, school and, you know, laundry to do. And I was like, okay, well, time is a created thing. And this is what Lazu said. When you say you don't have enough time, it means you don't want to. So what you need to do is you need to put it first and you need to break it down. The five minutes is a way to, if you will, kickstart or jumpstart with what they call mini habits. So invest five minutes a day. You'll start to experiencing the benefits of it. And I know that you've also seen this phenomenon. It's called Parkinson's law. When you limit and restrict time, it actually can make you more effective and efficient. Think about the day before you get ready to go on vacation, if we ever go anywhere and again. But feel like, you know, just imagine when you're going on vacation, how productive you were the day before, right? Because everything becomes what you truly are meant to do, you will do, right? Well, the same thing is with the five-minute success, with flipping the time and doing it first. You'll start to experience the benefits of it. It's like compound interest, right? The reason why it's one of the wonders of the world right? Because it will eventually grow. You'll want to do more. The people around you will want to do more. Right. What I found is, is the people around me, the more I do this, they're like, yeah, Carrie, can you go do more of that? Because <laughs> you're, you're 
better to work with, happier to be around, you know, you're living such a, you know, better life. So those are some of the, the strategies for success. Because the other thing is, is people, again, back to time as a human construct, right? It's really energy. Energy is a fundamental currency of high performance or living life to the fullest, right? So when you focus on things that bring you energy and bring you happiness and bring you fulfillment, your bliss, your zone of genius, then you will be achieving at a much higher level. And so again, everything else will become easier and necessary. Man, it's really that simple, isn't it? It really is. Yeah, we make it so hard and it's really that simple. (laughs) (laughs) We really do. And I want to just empower as I was empowered by this thought, right? That if I can do it, you can do it too. Just take five minutes a day, start with five minutes a day. And in fact, right now, just think about that one thing, you know, that you want to do this weekend, I really build creative endeavors into my life. And like I've taken improv classes and I've done paint night and I got back into playing the piano that I hadn't done since I was a child. And and so I decided to make this chunky blanket and there's a kit, you go online, they send you the VR and I'm telling you how easy it is. Okay. And it's all done. Even with your fingers, it's more like crochet. Took me like two hours to make this blanket. So I put it up on Facebook. I had over a hundred comments, most of them from women. And you know what they said? I've always wanted to do that, but I don't know how, or I never had the time. I can't believe you did that in two hours. It was like a a litany of all the ways we stop ourselves from living a life that would bring us happiness and joy. And I'm like, all you two could sign up to do this blanket. I mean, this is not, this is not rocket science here. And so that's what the message of this is. Okay, is that to build those times into your life and then that will actually permeate out into the rest of your life. Yeah, it sure will. It sure will. So I got one last question for you. Looking back, you told me that you could have figured out how to be a mother and have a career. So my question to you now is what advice would you give to mothers today as to how they can enjoy both at the same time? Well, thank you for allowing me to share this, because, again, I was the only one stopping me. And I think that a lot of it was from my, the way I was raised. My mother was a working mother and I couldn't see how what she did would work for me. And I also couldn't see how the career I had, I was in commercial real estate, would work. And so I couldn't visualize it. So, you know, it always has to start in your mind first, right? You you have to be able to see it first before you can do something. So I wish I would have had more creativity in how I could have done this. You allowed yourself to have more creativity. I did not even allow it. And so first of all, I would say to anybody that's in this situation is expand your worldview of what it means to work. See, at the time, I didn't believe that I could do sales, which is obviously a completely limiting belief because last year we sold $100 million in real estate. And we're in top one of the top teams in the nation. So obviously, I'm very capable. And so what I think I would do if I was me and or visiting with somebody who was like me, is I would say, just start talking or to other women or listening to podcasts, finding other ways of seeing, because when you change the way you look at things, then the way you look at things changes. That's Wayne Dyer. 
if you think about it, if you can just, if I could have just changed the way I looked at things, because I only looked at it like two ways. I had very myopic vision. If I would have changed the way I looked at things, I could have perhaps seen how things would change because I did change the way I looked at things. Obviously, at some point I got into sales and somebody said to me, Karen, I think you could do this. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, what's it? Maybe I'll try. Yeah. Maybe I'll try. And I did. And I was successful very rapidly. Even if I hadn't have been, I think that I could have still done it. So that's what I would encourage. Yeah. And I think that is a great, great wisdom there that I hope all those that are mothers out there are the one to be mothers, that there is a way to make it happen. You just got to open up your mind to the creative space. So Karen, is there anything about your journey to greatness that we haven't covered that you'd like to share with other women? The journey to greatness, I will say, in terms of my success in real estate, really, I can attribute to the fact that I recognize quickly that it's the goose who lays the golden egg that is the most valuable. And by golden egg, I mean the one that generates the business. So if you can figure out how to be a lead generator, deal generator, opportunity generator, idea generator, I was always an implementer. Like somebody else would lead the way, create the business, and then I would implement it. And what I discovered is that is not paid at the same scale (laughs) as the person who brings in the business. And when I, again, back to change the way you look at things, the way you look at things changes when I discovered I could do that. I had, that's a skill that can be learned, taught and learned. And when I chose to embrace that, then I found that I increased my value opportunity, which increased my opportunity to to make more money, which then has led to a lot of my success. And I see this particularly in women who get into sales and they are predominantly passive in their approach and lead receivers. Like they want somebody to give it to them and then they can implement. And that is a valuable skill. And there's many people, we still need that, believe me. But if you want to achieve at a high level, the people that figure out how to be the one that brings it in is the one that's going to always have a job. (laughs) And be rewarded greater. And be rewarded greater. And I'm going to close with one thought on that, that I think you've, you've brought something so incredible to the surface here. And that is that women often place themselves in positions that don't have the power that they think they do. And the power rests in who's generating the bottom line. So that is true for corporate as well as entrepreneur spaces. And the mistake I see women make so often is they, because they're comfortable in the connection route, they tend to stay in those spaces as opposed to going in spaces that really have a P&L impact. And the lead generators are P&L impactors for sure. Absolutely. If you're bringing in the business, you're always going to have a job. Always going to be valuable. I promise you. you. Now, there's always a place for the person who, you know, implements the the, the business. And I'm not discounting that because I have those people in my life and I greatly value them. But they recognize the fact, too, that they weren't going to make what I make. Right. Right. Exactly. Karen, you have been full of so much wisdom, and I knew you would be. Thank you for bringing it and sharing it so openly with all those listening. I really do appreciate it. Well, I'm delighted to be a part of one of the world's greatest women focused. (laughs) And as I mentioned before, if I can do it, Annette, you can too. And so that's the message I want to leave with your community. 
Thank you so much. And Karen is another great example of how women are challenging the norm, making things happen, and demanding their own greatness. So join me next time on the World's Greatest Women Show as another powerful woman's story unfolds. 